2017. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the first of three uh, podcasts we're going to do this week. So if you haven't subscribed yet, shame, shame, shame on you. Please go subscribe via iTunes, rate it favorably, and continue to write great things about me in the comments. Five stars and great things about GP. That's what we're looking for. And while you're doing that, uh, we will discuss the latest in the sport of college basketball. Let's just start with the PK80 title games because they were uh, Sunday night. And I know that on the last podcast we told you we might talk late Sunday night or early Monday morning or even Monday night. And all of that, um, I'm compelled to tell you now, was an absolute lie. By late Sunday night, I had just gotten home and I was sleepy, sleepy, sleepy. So I went to bed basically at the buzzer um, of Duke and Florida. Norlander was traveling all day Monday. By Monday night, Norlander was dead asleep, and so we're just now connecting. It's Tuesday morning. Our apologies, but uh, we can still go back to Sunday night, and that was the title games of that PK-80 event out in Portland, Doobie, Florida, behind another just monster performance uh, from Marvin Bagley. And then uh, earlier in the night, Michigan State uh, beat North Carolina, got 23 points from Josh Langford. So the preseason number one team and the preseason number two team are the teams that won the two PK-80 brackets uh, those, of course, are the motion brackets and the victory brackets. Norlander, you were there. Please share your thoughts on what you saw, sir. Great, great event, great tournament. Need to have something like this again as soon as possible. That's not doable. Like next week. Could we do another one next week? Right. Um, it's not possible next season or the season after because most of these big programs are already uh, locked into contracts with the typical November tournaments. Um, I do think that there will be something there. This was such a success. I don't know if we'll only be a Nike affiliated thing or not. Um, but this was undeniably from a television standpoint, from a fan interest standpoint, um, such a success, especially given that we got some really great games. I mean, Gonzaga, Florida was the game of the tournament, that double OT game, but there were other ones. There were five overtime games, I believe that were played in six total overtimes. Um, it would be foolish if college basketball's power brokers didn't try and arrange something like this to be played again come 2020. That might be the earliest we could see a GP. If not then, I think 2021 at the latest, which obviously is too far down the road. I want to see one of these things, as you said, again next week. But if we can get something to come to come 2020 or 2021 and then have it done, if not annually, hopefully biannually, uh, there are only a few places in the country that could do something like this. However, uh, I get the suspicion that there are particular tweaks or alternatives that could be uh, that could be in the mix here in terms of how this might be done in the future. It's just a great thing. I understand it was a huge weekend for college football, the NFL. Those are still going to dominate the sports headlines. But from where I was, and it was obviously in something of a bubble here, and I'll ask you this first and then I'll get to the actual games I saw. But it seemed as though this event had a pretty good impression, a pretty good mark on the overall uh, sports world. It doesn't hurt college hoops at all to do something like this. And every coach I spoke with at the event championed it, and not just because they were in it and, you know, Phil Knight was there and it was, you know, players all got, you know, LeBrons and all this stuff like that. Um, but the fact that it was such a positive event and a massive event they seemed all willing to want to do something like this again. 
What about you, GP? Do you think that the overall impact um, was what we should have expected even beyond that? I thought it went as well as you could reasonably expect and perhaps better. I mean, you had uh, big brands, great teams, NBA prospects, and like everybody lived up to what they were supposed to be. Like the best teams won. I mean, that seems pretty clear. The teams that were favored actually showed up and won their brackets, Duke and Michigan State. The best NBA prospect like looked like the best NBA prospect. And my God, how awesome was Marvin Bagley? I mean, I mean, like just uh, like ridiculous numbers against great teams. Like he so he was off the charts. I think having that late window on Sunday uh, you're never going to beat Sunday night football with a college basketball game. Like, we don't have to lie to each other. But I did get the sense, particularly as Duke was coming back, you know, from a big, big deficit, and Bagley was just dominating everybody, scoring points, grabbing rebounds, scoring points, grabbing rebounds. I got the sense that, and, and social media can be a weird thing. I recognize the majority of Americans aren't on Twitter. Even the majority of sports fans aren't on Twitter. But on Twitter, like, you know, Duke in Florida was, I mean, it was an, it was a thing late on Sunday night. Like, I landed uh, during the first half of that. I got home right around halftime, so I was able to sit down and, and watch the second half and, and be on my computer, and it felt like sports fans, not just college basketball fans, were paying attention to uh, what, what Duke and Florida were doing, what Marvin Bagley was doing. So I thought, um, you know, sometimes you do these big events, you've got these big ideas, and you go, ooh, I don't know. Like, it, it sounded good in theory, but it just didn't go off um, well. I think every game on an aircraft carrier, except for the first one, probably qualifies as that. Um, but this, I thought, was was awesome. And I know that for a variety of reasons, this is hard to, to put together. And it's not something you could put together as soon as next season again. Because, like you said, folks are locked into to tournaments. Um, teams are locked into tournaments sometimes two and even three years in advance. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect another, like, I don't think we'll see the PK-81, but I do think you could do something like this again, and you could even do it in different cities. I know Portland was perfect because the arenas were so close together, but I saw somebody point this out on Twitter. Like, you could do it in Indianapolis at Banker's Life and Hinkle. I mean, I know they're not right next to each other. People at, in Portland, yeah. What now? That that specific that specific location in those buildings were talked about just a moment. Right. Ago. So you could do it. You could move it around to Indianapolis. Um, caught the 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 GD fifty, the Greg Doyle Invitational, and 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 play a uh, a ball bracket and, uh, and bracket. the, the G bracket something like that. <laughs> right. So you could like there's a variety of ways you could do something like this, but I'm all for it. And you know what? You don't have to have sixteen teams. Like we don't need two different tournaments, actually. Just give me an eight. Also, like I, I'm all for this. I, I did like the fact that this was 16 because there were so many different yeah. and Duke and Carolina. I, I agree. You don't need 16, but there was just something about this being 16 and having so many different fan bases, many of whom traveled relatively well. I mean, Butler showed up big time uh, out there, and it wasn't even playing for a title and, and wouldn't have expected to do that. Um but, yeah, it's it's a compelling thing, GP. I'd be interested to see if and when they can get something like this organized again. Uh, we'll note that Mark Hollis came up with the idea for the PK-80, and he uh, talked with them a little bit. He thought this up back in 2011, so it took six years for this to come to fruition. Um, he, is a, he is a man well-known for his, for his ideas, many of which uh, work and a few of which have been uh, 
less than ideal, but nonetheless, he's always thinking about ideas to uh, to bring more awareness to college basketball. And I think it's a relatively safe bet that if we have something like this again, Michigan State should and will be involved. And the great thing is that I'm all for compelling matchups in college basketball period end of story and and the reason i say that is because and we've talked about this before there's so few or i should rephrase there's too many terrible basketball games at the collegiate level because so many of the, of the top programs have to play x amount of buy games sometimes eight as many as nine buy games to fill up a home schedule to sell a season ticket package to make money and so like Cincinnati right now, 7-0. They play nobody, right? Now, that changes this week. They get Xavier this weekend. But if you're a Cincinnati fan, like unless you just love watching your team beat the crap out of everybody else, and, and there is something to that, by the way, um, you haven't been able to watch your team play a real opponent like so far, and it's, it's November 28th right now. Uh, so um, anything that gives us more compelling matchups, I'm, I'm for that. And, and if you start looking at – at where we're headed going forward, there's a strong indication that the Champions Classic will tip off, uh, you know, seasons going forward. Uh, so you get you get the Champions Classic in, in a certain week, then you get, I believe, the way this calendar unfolds, Maui and all of those events in in the subsequent week. Then you get the PK80 closing out that weekend. Then the next week you get the ACC Big Ten Challenge that gives us some interesting games. And then after that, you're sort of at the mercy of the academic calendar because a lot of schools are in finals and basically only small schools are going to travel to play, buy games because they're getting paychecks. You're not going to see the Dukes and the Carolinas and the Kentuckys going on the road as finals are um, either um, uh, as that week's approaching or while that week's going on. So in those middle weeks in December leading into Christmas, we're kind of just it is what it is. And then, of course, you get to late December, January, and you've got league games. So anything to fill up November and December with basketball that might bring in somebody other than a hardcore college basketball fan, like, I'm in favor of that. So uh, if I'm Mark Hollis uh, or if I'm somebody advising Mark Hollis, keep thinking, man. Anything you can do to, to give us compelling basketball games between uh, comparable programs, um, yeah, sign me up for that. And we had plenty of compelling matchups there, GP, obviously. I'll get to uh, Michigan State and Duke. I'll kind of wrap up with those at the end so then we can segue right back to you. Just an over, overarching view. Uh, by the way, if, if listeners want to check, I did do a sort of a, a grade report, an overall summary of every single team that played in the PK-80. You can check that out at cbsports.com. It's on the mobile app and all that good stuff here. Um, so some sporadic thoughts. Uh, one, Oklahoma, Trey Young, fantastic put-up. 43 on Oregon average. I think it was 35 points for the tournament. Uh, pretty awesome to see Trey Young's ability to score so easily translate to the college level. Uh, I sat down with Trey out in Portland. I'll have a piece on him coming uh, in the next few days or so. I do think the Sooners have serious NCAA tournament capabilities. A few things still got to form around Trey. I don't think that they can rely on him to be this do-it-all freshman uh, combo guard. He can do plenty Still need a few more things there. Oklahoma was defeated by Arkansas. That's a really good team out of the SEC. Uh, the Hogs beat Oklahoma. Lost to Carolina, uh, but it was closer than it looked uh, before just absolutely romping UConn. Uh, Hogs are going to be an NCAA tournament team, I think. Uh, Jalen Barford was one of the better players in the victory bracket. Speaking of UConn, not a good trip for them overall because you consider they beat Oregon 
And I watched that game. I was there. It, they look solid, but they're non-competitive against Michigan State. They get killed by uh, the Razorbacks. Kevin Ollie has more talent than his team is indicating or showing right now. Uh, the fan base is going to get pretty frustrated pretty fast. If UConn can't get on the right track, in my opinion, that roster should be good enough to get into the tournament. Uh, some lost opportunities there overall. In Oregon, it's a bad week for them. You know, <laughs> it's the Phil Knight Invitational. Oregon wins one game. Stanford, his other uh, alma mater, where he went to grad school for business, they go 0 for 3. Oregon loses to UConn. Then you see what UConn does. That's a bad look. They, they lose to Oklahoma. They needed overtime to get Pied to Paul. Uh, Oregon, we did not have in our top 25-1 and one heading into the season. And I wonder if that might be a little bit of a mistake. It turns out not. They might turn into something better than what we saw there. But they were the, the, the top twenty-five and one never makes a mistake, Norlander. You're speaking foolishness. That's 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 absolutely true, by man, GP. Uh, and then the only other team out of uh, the victory back, aside from Michigan State, which I'll wrap with at the end, was was North Carolina. Um, I sat with Roy Williams prior to their game against Michigan State. He was. I think pleasantly surprised by how well his freshmen had been playing to this point. Um, and there was obviously a, a massive, massive step back as they had their worst shooting performance in school history overall from the field and from three-point range. They were 24.7 or 24.6 from the field. They had never had a game that bad as a program ever. And then they were one of 18 from three-point range. And the only three-pointer that went in was almost this afterthought casual uh, Chuck at the buzzer before the first half by Barry. Uh, so they very well came uh, came close to 0 for 18 for the night. Over in the motion bracket. Love the motion bracket. It's my favorite bracket. Aside, aside from Duke here. Um, Texas beats Butler. Should have beat Duke. Oh, man, they absolutely blew it there. Um, and that's part of you know Duke's just crazy ability to come back despite their youth. Uh, Texas, and then they... They played really well against Gonzaga. They they had the best showing of any team that went one and two at the PK eighty. Really leave leave that leave that city knowing that they should have won three games. Essentially, uh, it's got to be frustrating. Uh, but I do like their. T- I mean, Kerwin Roach. I think he took a huge step forward. Mo ba- Muhammad Bamba is such an impressive uh, player, but I want to see him be a little more consistently aggressive and be more physically imposing because I think he can still get there. I was talking with some evaluators on hand. They, they agreed with me overall there. But uh, I do believe in the Longhorns ultimately being a pretty strong team going forward and certainly being in that single-digit realm. But there's just no denying that they, they had a great shot versus Duke and should have won that game and couldn't come out on top overall. Uh, Gonzaga looked damn good. I, I, we should have had Josh Perkins on our top 101 players list. Uh, Jonathan Williams was already there. He was a stud, looked very good. Perkins is also a really, really good player. Rui Hachimura has no idea what he's doing on defense, but everything else can really click for him. I think he had a nice uh, nice game where putting him in spots where he his offensive abilities can really help Gonzaga elevate to another level. We saw plenty from him there. Um, Ohio State. I'm going to have something on Chris Holtman and Ohio State on the site here Wednesday morning. I think it was supposed to go up today, but we're going to push that one more day. Uh, man, you know, he goes up against his former team. We talked about that heading into that game on the previous podcast. Blows a 15-point lead with less than five minutes to go. Holtman told me after that game he had never coached a team that had uh, blown a lead that big with, uh, with five minutes to go, essentially. And that's just like... It's got to be so bitter for him and, and must have been a weird sense of deja vu 
because he knows how good that those that personnel is that he coached. And Butler over the years has had an ability, maybe not from 15 points down, but GP, you know this. Butler, time and time again, trailing by six, trailing by eight, trailing by ten with six, seven, eight minutes to go, they will just bend your fingers back and, and bend to your will. And, and they'll get into these games and you'll find yourself that you lost 59-56 and yet you're up 49-39 with, with six minutes to go. Um, so that must have been just an absolute nightmare that played out in real time for him. Ohio State, they're growing. Backcourt needs a lot of work. Uh, good on Laval, Jordan, Butler to come back and get that win. That's a huge one uh, because the reverse of having lost Ohio State, I think, would have been damaging to the resume. And then um, can't not talk about Florida before I get to Duke and Michigan State. The Gators are absolutely good enough to win the national championship. They should have defeated Duke. Uh, they played just an epic, epic game against Gonzaga. That was an awesome, unbelievable environment there. Um, they had no issues with Stanford. In fact, they beat Stanford 108 87 and it truly felt like a 45 50 point deficit stanford was non-competitive they had an awful pk 80 but with everything that florida has and you know john agboon who's not even in this roster yet they there's their athleticism their three-point shooting which has taken a massive step up chris chioza has i think had a stronger start to the season than mike white even anticipated kavon allen we know what he can do igor kulichov the senior grad transfer from rice is turning into a pretty great player overall Jalen Hudson like, was ridiculous from three. Uh, all in on Florida winning the SEC. I know A&M did damage over the weekend as well, but they're really, really solid. And I'm, uh, I'm on the, the verge here of setting a record for, uh, for, for minutes talked. I'm pulling a parish. Two more. Duke and Michigan State. They each win their brackets. Michigan State, as I wrote, a really good thing for the Spartans here because Miles Bridges – just a guy. He didn't play in the first game, was recovering from that ankle. Izzo said he's not even back to 100%. Wasn't it by any means, but you had Cassius Winston going off for a career game in the semifinals when Michigan State romped UConn, and then you had Josh Lankford having a career game in the title game versus North Carolina. And, and by the way, Michigan State had 24 turnovers, and still there was no issue whatsoever because of Carolina's bad shooting overall. Big step forward for the Spartans there. To me, they're they're even more so the, the best team in that league at this point. Um, Minnesota couldn't put Alabama away despite going five on three. Purdue had issues in in, uh, in the Bahamas. Spartans clearing away a class in their own in that league. And then Duke, I mean, I'll leave most of this with you, GP. If you want to see my thoughts, I wrote about, plenty about them over the weekend on the site. But it's crazy to me that Bagley is this good and looks like he's just hitting third gear. We have not seen uh, the most of what's to come yet. Grayson Allen was okay. He wasn't outstanding. They didn't need him to be. And despite the fact that this team is so young they're still trying to figure out their defense they're not good from three-point range they have developed this bizarre habit of of slow starts with with poor shooting bad transition defense they trail portland state into the second half they trail texas by 16 in the second half they trailed florida by 17 it just does not seem to matter yet so you can look at it from two angles one this is going to really burn them eventually if they keep doing this or if this is the worst Duke that we're going to see, like if we're seeing this and this is going to be eliminated by mid-December, then it's going to get real scary because the team's going to just continually get better. And so with, with that all in mind, yeah, that's why they were the number one team in the preseason. That's why they remain number one right now. And Marvin Bagley right now is the front runner for National Player of the Year. Uh, what's interesting is that you said a couple times Florida should have beaten Duke. Gonzaga should have beaten Duke. You know, Michigan State was up a point on Duke in the final four minutes. People don't remember that because of the way Duke closed and, and Grayson Allen's like 37-point performance. But Duke has been 
either significantly down or behind in the final minutes three different times already this season. And they've won each game. And I think that's super impressive, especially for a mostly young team. I mean, to be able to to pull out of uh, these these big, big deficits and and close strongly without exception, I think's a great sign. Now I wouldn't advise them to keep falling behind because eventually that that catches up to you. Eventually, you know, somebody gets you. But I, I guess I'd say this. I don't know if you were all in on Duke as the preseason number one, but clearly I had Duke number one in the preseason top 25 and one. And uh, sometimes a few weeks into it, you, you go, Ooh, maybe I was a, maybe I missed on this other team. Or maybe I was a little too high on the team. I had number one. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Like Duke came into this season looking like the preseason favorite. Uh, it's November 28th. They've got two top 10 wins. Bagley looks like the best player in the country. I got a higher opinion to Duke right now than I had when I had them number one in the preseason. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Bagley overall, what we see from him? He's and, all, like, he's unbelievable. Like, despite the fact that he's freaking awesome, uh, but he's just he's a points and boards machine. Like, I wouldn't even say that he's he's shown his all-around, well-rounded dominance yet. Like, he's not, he's not swatting shots at an insane rate. He's not being the distributor because he's not asked to do that yet. But it's wild to me, Parrish, how he just rolls out of bed and gives you 30 and 15. And when you, and it's not like this, like get you off your couch. Oh my God. That's insane. That's so dominant. Some kind of like how Anthony Davis had done a lot more. He just, it's just some, so it comes so casually to him. That's what I find the most interesting is that I feel he's like 40% of the college player he could grow into by the time we get to the tournament. I mean, let, let's remember Anthony Davis didn't put up numbers like this. Like, that, like yes. yeah, right. Like, but defensively, and when you watch Davis, that's uh, well, you get what I'm saying. Though, I got right? you. Yes, of course. Off the screen just a little bit more here and there. You're, you're exactly right about Bagley. Like when you watch Grayson Allen go for 37, you know he's going for 37. Like it's one shot after another. Like it's very clear. You don't have to be. Um, you don't have to have the stats live on a iPad next to you to know that he's putting together a, a big game. Like, you can see you see the points. They register with you. Bagley is like, you're just sort of laying there. You're watching. Then they throw the graphic on the screen. You're like, oh, wow, he's got 23 and 8 through 12 minutes. What? And I know that's an exaggeration, but, but he, he, he quietly, if there's a such thing, like, just you look up and he's got 25 and 10. And then that 25 and 10 turns into 34 and 15 and the fact that he's doing that consistently already, like in the PK-80, I think he averaged 27 and 15. I think right now he's averaging like 22 and 11 or 22 and 13. But that's including, in a small sample size, a game in which he only played 10 minutes. Like his points, his points per minute stuff is off the charts. His performance in Portland, off the charts. Um, he's just a different level everything than everybody he's playing against. All the stuff that, that we saw and lots of people saw as he was coming up through the, um, through the summer circuit, like you'd watch him at Peach Jam or in Las Vegas and you'd see the second jump and you'd see the, the, the in, incredible motor and you would see the skill set to go with the athleticism and you were like, this is a special, uniquely talented guy. But you still are never 100% certain how it's going to translate to the Division I level. And that it has translated seamlessly. He is dominating top 10 teams uh, 
the same way he dominated Team Penny in North Augusta, South Carolina. Like, there is no difference in what he's doing, except perhaps he's even more impressive now. After the after the championship win, uh, Shashevsky just had this grin on his face because I almost feel like he he knows they kind of got away with one there, and if they didn't have actually Goodman asked uh, Bagley like, do you ever think about like you could be, you know, sitting at home during your senior high school right now? Do you ever think about the alternative? Shashevsky hopped in and chimed and said, oh, I think about that a lot because um, he knows that they didn't have Bagley, this would be a way different team. Um, I'd argue that they'd have probably at least two losses at this point um but with him he just he just changes absolutely everything and Krzyzewski also mentioned like you know he said he's a special kid he said he's the most unique kid he's had that's actually uh, grammatically incorrect you can't be most unique unique is unique it's to it's to and of itself oh god but, oh yeah words matter Parrish and and you care about them as well so you can't scoff at that when you've got issues with defending national champions that's okay? fair that's fair that's fair <laughs> Uh, last thing he said was that he considers Bagley to be he, he mentioned his time as Team USA coach and he said he was quote of that ilk that's obviously uh, an extremely high compliment and also very well uh, could be correct so um, we'll just hear more of this see more of this as we go on but uh, but I'd never seen Krzyzewski like that giddy childlike I guess after a win like you just you just knew he he was he was thrilled with how they won, but they probably had no business winning. It was all because of Bagley. And I'll, I'll give credit to Gary Trent and Trayvon Duvall. They had big steals late in those games and certainly ended up coming up big. But Bagley was the, was the big difference maker. No, I think Kay probably recognizes exactly what I just said. Like, he thought they were going to be really good. But when you're starting four freshmen, like, you think you're going to be really good in February. Like, you, you think that this, this might be a bit of a process. Doesn't look like it at all. I mean, they still got some stuff they got to work out. Like, not falling behind by double digits would be great. But, woo, I mean, you talk about in November starting four freshmen and you already look like the best team in the country? I mean, that's that's how you go win a national championship. I mean, and Bagley is better than, I think, even those of us who thought he was the number one pick in the draft in the preseason, who thought he should be a first-team All-American in the preseason, He's been better than anybody could have could have expected. So when you say Bagley's better than anybody expected, you're getting a good version of Grayson Allen. Duvall still can't make a shot to save his life, but he does so many other things so well that it hasn't been a real issue so far. Teams are playing off of him when he's off the ball, uh, which means you probably got to keep him on the ball. Uh, but like he's he's so talented, a little bit like De'Aaron Fox. And I'm not comparing him to De'Aaron Fox. I'd rather have De'Aaron Fox than, than Duvall, I think. But uh, De'Aaron Fox was so talented in other areas that his lack of shooting didn't hinder him from being great at the collegiate level. I think Duvall probably find, falls into that same category. Wendell Carter has been overshadowed by Bagley, but you know he's posting decent numbers. Again, we're talking about freshmen who are still in November, and they're already performing at a high level. I mean, again, Duke was the favorite to win the national championship in the preseason. Uh, I haven't checked the odds lately, but whatever the odds are, I bet you uh, they've increased a little bit. They uh, they look like they look like the real deal. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. It's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek. Seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, 
That's College BB. You can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek is going to be uh, what helps you find the best seats at the best prices. It's all fully guaranteed. It saves you time and money. And here's how. It's going to search multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. Norlander, I can remember. It wasn't too long ago. I'd be sitting around my house trying to find tickets to basketball game, football game, concert. I'd be checking one site, checking another site, checking another site. Next thing I know, I look up. I've been sitting here for 90 minutes trying to make sure I'm not getting ripped off by a ticket site. No more. Not with SeatGeek. Not with that SeatGeek app. They're going to search the ticket sites for me, make sure I get the best deal. So if you're getting ready to go to a basketball game, a football game, a concert, anything, make sure to use SeatGeek. I've got the app on my phone. Get the app on your phone. Use it next time you want to go to anything. And remember that promo code COLLEGEBB. College BB going to get you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That is SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Norlander. Yeah. We got the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's underway right now. Virginia beat Wisconsin on Monday night. Syracuse beat Maryland on Monday night. By the way, I was at the Emerald Coast Classic over the weekend, so I saw Maryland. Um, They didn't look great. Uh, They lost, of course, to St. Bonaventure. And... Just gave the ball away over and over again. Like, like their uh, offensive turnover rate was embarrassing, and they still were like ahead most of the game. And then the bodies got going late and and ended up upsetting them. And then of course St. Bonaventure played TCU, and and TCU was able to handle them. So TCU, your Emerald Coast Classic champions, and now they're now ranked in the AP Top Twenty Five poll. Um, but Maryland didn't look good when I saw them, and then uh, they went to the Carrier Dome and lost to a. A Syracuse team that might be better than than we realized in the preseason, but still an unranked Syracuse team. And so uh, the ACC, either way, is off to a 2-0 start in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And uh, tonight you get Louisville at Purdue. That's the most interesting game. Uh, First big test for David Padgett's Cardinals, which still sounds a little weird to say. Uh, Then you get Miami at Minnesota on Wednesday night. That should be great. Notre Dame at Michigan State on Thursday night. That's a top-five matchup, given that the Irish knocked off Wichita State out in uh, Maui. So uh, it's weird because I, I don't think you get Duke in a great matchup this year. They're at Indiana, and Indiana's obviously down. I don't think you get North Carolina in a great matchup this year because it's North Carolina and Michigan, and Michigan on paper isn't terrific. It's at very least an unranked team. But still some interesting matchups. Miami at Minnesota Wednesday night. Notre Dame at Michigan State on Thursday night. So this is just one of those other uh, fun events that gives us compelling matchups. I'll be in front of a TV Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. Yeah, uh, let's save uh, let's save the Notre Dame Michigan State game for the next podcast because we're obviously going to pod the fourth in. Uh, we can kind of preview that there. Um, I guess take it uh, day by day here. So Tuesday, uh, Louisville Purdue. That's a Purdue home game. Cardinals got a nice shot here, but Purdue at home. I know that they were um, below expectation uh, over in uh, over in the Bahamas. Um, but I do like the Boilermakers uh, big here. Northwestern, by the way, is a tricky game at Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech still not at full strength, but they do get the home floor. That is a Tuesday night game. Wildcats could really use a win there, uh, a quality road victory. Uh, they've already got two losses this season. We've, we've talked about Northwestern uh, recently on the podcast. Dropping that would be troublesome because then they'll have a uh, pressure pack home game coming next against Illinois. Yes, the Big Ten schedule starts technically uh, later this week, um, Iowa, Virginia Tech on Tuesday. I expect the Hokies to win that. Uh, 
not, I don't know about easily, but I, I think that Virginia Tech is certainly uh, much better than Iowa this season. I will note a non-ACC Big Ten game on Tuesday night is Baylor at Xavier. And Baylor has continued to look top 25 worthy. Xavier just got handled by Arizona State on Friday. Now, I didn't see any of that game, uh, but it was an announcement game for the Sun Devils. So now can Xavier come back, take care of business at home against Baylor, because uh, then, similar to, I guess, Northwestern, it's, it's got to turn around and play a rivalry game as it will host a really good Cincinnati team on Saturday. So an important game for, for Xavier on Tuesday as well. Um, Wednesday, the Miami-Minnesota game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge is just terrific. Uh, Miami, I think, is, is still a reasonable, if you've got to you know, select a dark horse in the ACC, Miami's really the only team that I think even applies there. Um, could be a, an announcement game for the Hurricanes if they're able to win that one. Minnesota has looked plenty good, and yes, was Baylor able to hold off Bama in a five-on-three situation. Actually got outscored by like eight points or whatever in the final 11 minutes of that infamous game versus Crimson Tide in, in Brooklyn over the weekend. Um, Duke at Indiana. I, I wonder I wonder what this is going to be like for the Blue Devils because, you know, Krzyzewski in his, his press conference also noted that they played road games. Like, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, Portland State in, in the opener of the PK-80 barely qualified as a road game, if you even want to call it that. They weren't even – Portland State wasn't even playing in its home arena, so technically it wasn't. And then you play Texas and, and uh, Florida on neutral courts. This is actually Duke's first road game of the season – and wouldn't you know it, uh, it comes in a year because Duke normally doesn't play many uh, non-conference road games. But occasionally when it does, it's TV-induced by the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And it happens to be Indiana in a down year. Uh, I do think Duke will win. I do think that game will be pretty close. Um, Duke by six, give me. I, I think Indiana will be up for that. And uh, given the way that Duke's had some, some sloppy starts there, I think they'll, they'll wind up winning. But... Uh, but I don't have I don't have big confidence that they're going to blow out a bad Indiana team in Bloomington. So, kind of some games to be on the lookout for there. Um, nothing too interesting elsewhere. But before our next podcast, I'll toss it back to you, GP. I uh, I don't see how Indiana's got the players to hang around with Duke. I mean, I understand Assembly Hall is an amazing home court advantage, and it'll obviously be filled. Uh, but ultimately, one team's got Duvall and Bagley and. Allen and Carter and the other team does not and I'd think Duke by double digits makes uh makes makes sense to me before we get out of here a uh, bit of news from late Monday night Tim Floyd uh, announced his retirement at UTEP after a home loss to Lamar so uh the Miners were one in five in this season off to a bad start after last season like starting terribly as well uh it, it's sort of surprising that this program, like that Tim, uh, like ran it into a bad place over the past few years because uh, Tim's had a, a an interesting and, and mostly successful career, and I just figured you put Tim Floyd at a place like UTEP, a place that like genuinely cares about college basketball and like they support college basketball, that he would be the class of of Conference USA, and it just never happened. Zero NCAA tournaments in seven years after he replaced. Uh, Tony Barbie gone after six games in his in his eighth season and so you know he's like I said a guy who coached for a long long time he's 63 years old now and and won a lot of games I believe nearly 500 but he'll mostly be remembered for I think two things that neither of which are good 
One is replacing Phil Jackson with the Bulls and getting yeah. nothing accomplished there. And then, of course, um, the O.J. Mayo scandal at USC that led to um, led to his resignation um, with the Trojans. I mean, that's that's if you play uh, you know word association, Tim Floyd gets connected to those things rather than the success he had at USC, rather than the success he had at Iowa State, um, rather than taking the New Orleans NBA franchise to the playoffs one year. Uh, what you remember Tim Floyd for is is the Chicago Bulls disaster and the O.J. Mayo investigation. He pulled a Bo Ryan here. I mean, he doesn't have the legacy of Bo Ryan, but uh, just a, a post-game retirement announcement uh, before the conference season even kicked in there. Um, yeah, that was a weird thing to wake up to. Uh, <laughs> coaching carousel is already on GP for the next for the next season. Yeah, um, I guess retirement for now or for good means that he's done coaching. He's been at it a long time. Coached at Idaho. New Orleans, Iowa State, famously, his, his run with Iowa State, uh, he parlayed that into the Bulls job, and that is post-Phil Jackson, post-Michael Jordan, uh, quite literally a no-win situation there. And then, um, yeah, man, the USC thing. That, you know, that was before I got to CBS, and I remember, like, thinking back on it, when the O.J. Mayo stuff, like, I remember, I, that was, I, GP, that might have been one of the first things that I actually, like, read from you, like, when I was starting to really... Uh, kind of track as much national college basketball coverage as I, as I could. Uh, you writing about the Mayo thing, Goodman, uh, Wetzel, I think, to a certain degree. And that was a, a massive deal at the time because I remember thinking or reading about how, like, how that all went down. And it was, it was just out of place for the time that it happened. Like, wh- what, was, uh, what happened with the O.J. Mayo stuff was something that should have been happening in, like, 1983. <laughs> like, a coach getting involved – uh handing over money like it you know it, it just had no business happening in the 21st century kind of deal and uh it ended his it ended his career with the trojans and then he tried a, a late uh, career resurrection with utep as you said couldn't get it going um but yeah kind of a bizarre timing for retirement but if he knew that it just wasn't working uh and there are clearly a lot of things that we don't know about uh but you know maybe issues with practice or, or there, issues there, there is you speak for yourself there's nothing i don't know about Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I know. But regardless, no uh, yeah, he just decides to step away. And if he thinks that's for the team, that's what's needed. So be it. And and on we go with Utah. It's interesting what you said about the OJ Mayo situation because as I'm thinking about that, if you remember the way that recruitment went down, as Tim Floyd explains it, he says, "So I just get a phone call one day, and they're like, hey, would you be interested in OJ Mayo?'" And I said, "Of course, I'd be interested in OJ Mayo." Sort of framing the whole story as. Like, I wasn't necessarily recruiting O.J. Mayo. And then I get a phone call. And they're like, O.J. Mayo is interested in you. Are you interested in O.J. Mayo? So then we go out and recruit O.J. Mayo and we enroll O.J. Mayo. Well, then you find out it was dirty. Like, the whole thing was just dirty. Does, yep. that, does that story remind you of anybody else's story? Oh, gosh. Sure. Rick, <laughs> the Rick Patino brian Bowen story. Yes. yes. Rick Patino, as explaining the, the enrollment of, of Brian Bowen at the time, is like, you know, I get a phone call. This one fell out of the sky. They're like, hey, would you be interested in Brian Bowen? Of course I'd be interested in Brian Bowen. And then what do we find out? It's, uh, it's dirty. So I guess the lesson is this. Next time you hear a coach sort of uh, you know, put his arms in the air and go, you're not going to believe this. But we got this five-star recruit, and it just came out of nowhere. Like I'm just sitting in my office one day. Cell phone rings. They're like, hey, coach, would you be interested in the five-star recruit that you have no relationship with? And I was like, of course I would be. 
Uh, red flag. Go ahead and assume that it's dirty because we've got two examples of that uh, in high-profile cases, and both of them uh, ended up costing uh, the coach in charge his job. So maybe there's a lesson for college coaches as well. If you get a phone call from somebody offering you a five-star recruit that you have no relationship with, just turn it down and keep your job. Turn it down and keep it moving. Otherwise... Uh, it could cost you millions of dollars. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And remember, you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that. It makes a difference. We always appreciate it. Rate it favorably and know that we'll be back real soon. Till then, take care.